This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Before we go any further, we do have some news. Uh, Adam, why don't you do the, the honors? Ladies and gentlemen, Coming to you from Apple, Spotify, and every place that you get your podcasts. What the Hack, now on Tuesdays, not Mondays. Indeed, indeed. Now, I seem to recall something about, Travis, you not liking Sunday nights. Yes, it was absolutely the bins, as my son would say. What is the bins? The bins, at least according to my son, is the worst thing imaginable. And the opposite of... The wins or the wins. But yeah. the thing is, it's not about winning, really, because I have said to you many times when we did something well, that was the wins. And you agreed. Mm-hmm. True. And this is good. This is very good. So Tuesdays, the show is still coming out every week. It's just not Mondays. Don't freak out. It is actually the wins. But for those of you who wait to start your week when you hear what the heck, well, start your week start a day later. Tuesday. Yep. Three day weekend, everybody. Hey guys, I know we're talking a little bit about deepfakes today, and I'm just wondering, is there any legitimate reason for someone to use this technology? I mean, it seems like it's just purpose-built for scammers. To clarify for our listeners, deepfakes is something we're seeing a lot in the headlines, and it's a term that usually refers to software or AI impersonation, sort of a manipulation of a specific person's recorded voice used in a way that it wasn't intended to be used, or maybe it was intended to be used. The reason you're hearing about it now is it's become cheap and very easy to do. And that's why it seems, at least to me, like what most people would use it for is unethical. I can't really think of a non-illegal reason to be copying someone else's voice. We're podcast guys. Right. And we have to record a podcast on a very strict schedule. Yep, every week. Mm -hmm. And therefore, since each of us sort of not only knows the voice of the other, but can easily make recording and have recordings of the voice of the other, that's a way to make sure that we stay on schedule. I can think of like 99 different ways to run a fraud with a deep fake and uh, one or two for legitimate reasons. No, the bottom line is, is the risk worth the reward? And the answer is probably not. Right. So with that, welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam Cyber. I am your retribution. I'm Bo, cyber conspiracy theorist. And I'm Travis, cyber orange juice and toothpaste combination. <laughs> Squeeze me. <laughs> Yum. Today we're joined by Delete Me's co-founder and security expert, Rob Chevelle, about how our personal and public data can be used against us. Now, we're taking bets. We took bets, Rob, on how, one, to say your name, and how, two, to say the name that you're of the company of which you're CEO. Anybody anybody get both those right is a winner. All right, Adam, what's your guesses? All right, first, Chevelle. 
and uh, Abine. Wow. You, you, you win a big prize, Adam. First at bat, I'm impressed. Although we did talk before, so That's true. I mean, you might be cheating a little bit, I'm just saying. <laughs> just a little. So, Rob, where are you coming to us from? I'm coming to you from uh, the wilderness outside of New York City. This is too funny. So is Bo. Where, what wilderness are you in? Uh, it's, it, it's a forgotten state called Connecticut that most people uh, drive through on their, on their way to Boston or other places or New York if they're coming from East. So I'm, I'm out in the woods of uh, outside of New York about an hour. I think you guys are neighbors. Everything is aligning, Bo. This is, this is very nice. You can, I'll let you borrow our bear if you want. That's what I was going to say. Maybe you, you can have share bear. <laughs> I was just behind my house clearing out all the burning bush, which I'm sure you're familiar with if you're with my neighbor. Um, and there was, there was a lot of bear activity back there. It was insane. We have a big black bear who lives back there. And now I know where he lives. He lives in the, the little sleeping beauty thicket behind my house. <laughs> There's an amazing amount of wildlife out here. It's quite something. Most of it doesn't yet have subway passes, but once it does, watch out, New York. Okay, I know you're the CEO of Abine, but you're CEO of Delete Me too. Are they the same thing? Uh, one and the same. I, I actually started the company with two uh, much smarter uh, MIT-educated engineers uh, to tackle the problems of uh, privacy online. And as often happens in the real world, the dumbest guy becomes the CEO. Oh, Adam, I've lived that. <laughs> <laughs> but they wouldn't, they actually wouldn't let me be CEO. So I don't know. I but. hold on. You know, I just realized I had that reaction and I know somewhere in Travis's brain, he was thinking the same exact thing about me. Thanks, Travis. Yep. Yeah. Just withholding every comment. <laughs> <laughs> Discretion being the better part of valor. So when you, when you talk about your company being a privacy company. Tell us a little bit about what Abine and Delete Me do. Abine's just the parent company, but uh, it was originally an acronym for a bit is not enough. And the reason we named Abine Abine was going back uh, a dozen years ago now, a lot of the tools that you could use as a, as a lay person on, on the internet to try to get some privacy were, uh, were built by developers, for developers. And they were very small little things you had to download from some esoteric website or, or developer's blog or what have you. And you had to piece these things together in order to get some privacy. You had to, for example, you had to, if you wanted to block some of the trackers tracking you when you surfed around the web, you had to download some guy from Germany, Vladimir's tracker blocker list that he had spent his life curating. and then. You had to combine that with a VPN from somewhere else. And then you had to, if you wanted to not reveal your email, you had to go to a third place to generate an alias email and, and so on. So that was the derivation of the name Abine. Well, I think one question I always find to be interesting when speaking with any privacy advocate is just to a layperson, why does privacy matter? Yeah. You know, there's the classic saying, hey, I've got nothing to hide. So right. you know, why do I care about privacy? And you know, one, one way I'm fond of answering it is win window curtains and shades are a multi-billion dollar per year industry. Why? Why? Like, I know nothing to hide. But yet every year, Americans and people all over the world 
buy window shades and curtains to the tune of a lot of money. And I think the point is that there's things that even though many, most of us, I'm not sure about Adam and Bo, but most of us, you know, are upstanding citizens and boy, did he peg us already? Jeez. The point is there, there's things that we like to do without the threat of other people looking in on us, observing our lives in some way that, that we feel like, and this is really the most important point, I think, that we feel like they might use that information some way in the future that is unwanted. One of the things that, that we deal with on a daily basis in this world is that we live in a surveillance economy, and we also have so many people that can't control themselves. They have to share every morsel of their lives. You know, when we started uh, the company, we thought that everyone would need to get a reasonable degree of privacy. And by the way, I'm, we're not talking about anonymity here. We're not talking about removing yourself completely from the internet and being invisible. Anonymity is, is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a reasonable amount of privacy. Anonymity is a different category of things. Spies need anonymity. Witness protection program people need anonymity. It's very hard to get and it's very expensive. So let's just separate the concept of anonymity and privacy. But when we started the company, and, and this is a dozen years ago now, and it was very much a time when everyone was excited about the possibility of sharing, sharing in social media. Facebook wasn't even a public company at that point. Everybody was excited. All the investors that we talked to were excited about all the social sharing and then all that information being used in the cloud and the data in the cloud. And, you know, we must have knocked on many dozens of investors' doors and we were told by them, hey, not interesting. The world is moving to, nobody cares about privacy. And by the way, especially the younger generation, younger generation doesn't care at all. So that's what we got told when we were founding the company. And I'm a bit contrarian. I always am interested in what the uh, lemming-like mass market thinking, conventional wisdom is per perhaps overlooking. Right. And that, that helped me get more personally excited about doing something that really cut against the grain and building, building a privacy company. We set out to do three things. One, protect people's privacy when they're surfing the web. Secondarily, we thought that people needed ways to control the information that they were being asked to share mm -hmm. when they were transacting when they were registering for websites, when they were shopping at e-commerce places or whatever. And the third one, back to your point, was delete me. Hey, I've been on there. I've been on the web. I, you know, I've, I've been sharing all this stuff. I've been living my life. Now, how do I clean it up? And, 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 and so delete me came in to be that component of the three pillars that we thought were important for privacy. And does that delete me include some kind of API fix to go in and get rid of all the Facebook friends you don't want and all the Facebook posts you wish you never posted and stuff? Or is it not, has Facebook not accommodated you? You know, it's funny, a lot of Facebook and a lot of other companies don't really like to accommodate delete deletion and yeah. <laughs> a deletion in general. They, they actually spend a lot of time engineering what let's just call a spade a spade dark patterns. Mm -hmm. uh, in their preference settings and control. So I would argue that the amount of marketing and engineering time spent on making settings that companies like Facebook and others know they need to provide somewhere in the user interface, the amount of time and investment spent on making those 
look innocuous, hiding them inside of menus, inside of menus, and getting the user to think like the choices that are defaults or the, or the secondary choice that they sort of want the user to make are the right things is, it is enormous. Uh, probably many times greater than all of the money invested in privacy tools. So Bo and Adam, you guys know I'm a bit of a uh, privacy geek, if you will. Oh yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, totally. I, I really just don't like the idea that just about anyone can find you online, can find out where you live or your email address, or your phone number or anything. I just think that entire idea is super creepy. There's so much of my data already out there, but is there something that you can do? Yeah, actually, you can use Delete Me. Delete Me is a service that pretty much does the heavy lifting for you, where they go to all the data brokers that they have on file and uh, just pull your data and delete it on a regular basis. I use it. I like it. And they make it quick, easy, and safe to remove your personal data online. Well, yeah, with these data brokers, they can accumulate huge amounts of your personally identifiable information. And if all that information gets into the hands of a bad actor, that opens you up to a lot of risk. And if you act now, you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and use promo code WTH. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and enter promo code WTH at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash WTH, promo code WTH, which stands for What the Hack. And we thank you for supporting Delete Me and What the Hack. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rope's got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. I'll tell you a little story because I want to get into some, some stories, Rob. And then you tell me a story. But the story I'll tell you starts with a situation that many people believe is their situation, which is that their phone on some level is listening to them. And we've all heard stories of somebody who said, well, I was talking about a barbecue and then I got an ad on Instagram for barbecue. And now the answer for, you know, some sort of mid-range capable and, and informed cyber person such as myself would be like, well, did you Google anything about barbecue? Right. And then I would try to paint a picture of retargeting and, and basic cookies, stuff that has nothing to do with something nefarious in your phone listening to you. you know, but then we've discovered that there are forms of malware that don't survive a reboot on your phone, but do listen to you until you do reboot your phone. And that's an issue. I recently had to put some compound tape 
in a room that I'm working on in my house. And I got an ad for a really cool skimmer, a big, gigantic, something no one would, in, my, in my line of work would ever buy. It was like for a professional taper. But it was on Instagram. And I thought, okay, I thought I got rid of that thing, but it's clearly still in my phone. Okay, guys, I want three different answers from three different people. Was it in my phone or is there another explanation? And then I'll tell you what the explanation was. I, I still think that it's uh, it's predictive behavioral predictive analysis. Okay, wrong. Okay, Rob. I think that it was something in your email conversation that triggered the Instagram ad. Possible. That would make sense if I used Google Mail, Gmail, which I don't for this kind of thing. Travis, what's your guess now? I think that it's uh, some sort of dark pattern thing where they're tracking not just uh, what you're looking at, but where you're going. If you happen to go to a store that happened to have that and uh, just being able to put that together by way of uh, prediction. It, it would be dark patterning stuff if it weren't much simpler than that, which is that Visa, hi Visa and MasterCard, hi MasterCard, sold my sales data. One, ha one has to start to think about like, what does privacy look like? Does privacy look like for me, privacy looks like I don't want MasterCard telling advertisers what I am buying because then I get ads for things that I already bought. <laughs> yeah, I know MasterCard actually does have a deal with uh, Google to sell yeah. your transaction information too. Well, first of all, uh, I, I think people need to be able to control these backend data sales from their credit cards and mobile phones and ISPs and um, there's many other places. The bigger point I think that I that I think about more is what's beyond targeting advertisers. I, I think it's annoying for ads to follow you around. Sometimes they're useful, sometimes they're not. Sometimes you bought the things, sometimes you didn't. If advertising gets really good, it ceases to be advertising. It's actually useful information brought to you. I think advertising is, is sort of a, a, a false issue in, in, in some ways. I think the problems lie at, at deeper layers of how this data is being used, leveraged, and exploited. So the, the thing that's interesting to me is my advertisements have almost all become entertainment for me because they are so hyper-targeted and they are so exactly correct. Their only it, problem with them is they usually don't know that I've already settled whatever it is they're trying to sell me. <laughs> no, but also, you know, there are a lot of people that are willing to make that deal, which is yeah. you can have as much information about me as possible as long as you guide me in the in the direction that I think I wanted to go and yeah. give me information. And, you know, it's the old line from Wall Street. When are you going to stop? giving me information and start getting me information. And that's well, I mean, look, on. they're willing to make that deal if, uh, A, they don't uh, think around, you know, the first corner and B, they've never been bit and they've never been harmed. They never had an incident that relates to the sharing of their data, the oversharing or the, the public availability of their data being out there. Just to give a very simple example, if you ask women and men, we're all men right now on this podcast discussing online ads. And if you ask a woman or ask, you know, hundred women, Hey, have you had any unwanted contact in the last year from somebody that somehow got your cell phone, your personal email address and, you know, reached out to you and you just didn't want them to find you, never wanted them to be able to contact you. The majority of them 
at least in my experience, in my informal surveys, will say yes. If you ask a man, almost nobody. So, you know, we really have to understand and move the conversation away from, hey, our company's, you know, following me around on the internet. Yes, they are. And sometimes it's useful and sometimes it's not. We have a data ecosystem and we're living in it. And, you know, we have to sort of acknowledge that. And I'm not sure it's, it's going to be easy to put the cat in the bag to where can we draw the boundary so that much more important harms are not manifest on an increasing percentage of internet. So how do you protect? That's a great point. I have two daughters and they will attest to what you just said big time through open source intelligence, you know, which is just another fancy word for people using the internet to stalk on people they're interested in. They are, have had that experience. What is the solution to that? Because that is inherently unsafe for young women and young men. Now, the, hey, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's it not, there's no silver bullet. It's mm-hmm. not delete me. It's not laws that, that are uh, percolating in over 20 states now to give people greater privacy rights or residents of states more and more privacy rights. It's not just new technologies that can search and monitor this stuff. It's not staying off the internet. It's only a combination of understanding how to live in responsibly and sort of like the new digital world that that we're all in, coupled with some of these laws and tools. I think that's the best that that we can do right now. And and we should always be concerned that uh, technology will continue to do what technology does. Doesn't matter whether you're on one side of the political spectrum or another. Doesn't matter whether you're a parent or not. Technology will just get better, cheaper, and faster. Can you expand on what you just said? I think the majority of people are still going, hey, I just need to live my life. I'm not worried about my data privacy. I don't have anything to hide. I'm a good person. That's the majority of Americans today, I believe. And I would suggest the technology that's underpinning the data brokers and the data infrastructure that has been collected uh, by big tech and by and and is shown up in data breaches on the dark web and is 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 effectively everywhere today. I had suggest that data is now we're now entering into kind of a new era and everybody in Silicon Valley is all excited about AI and Chat GPT and there's a reason it's because that data has been used to leverage the very first for the very first time and it's apropos that we're talking today because this has only has been true for the last six months or so, all that data has been used to inform the very first example of AI that I think has, you know, real potential to reshape society in many different ways that are, are almost all gonna be unexpected, many of them harmful and negative. All that data is now potential fodder for AI to leverage it in, in, in really unimaginable ways. And we're, we're really at the very starting point of that. And so I think it's, when I say technology is getting better, faster, and cheaper, I mean, we may be at a, at a turning point. I try not to use these words too much. You know, I started in Silicon Valley and the first dot-com boom and bust. And, and so I consider myself relatively jaded and inobjective, but I do think the era that we're about to enter into is going to be a wake-up call for people 
and for people's data. Well, speaking of AI, one thing that has been coming up a lot too, in addition to ChatGPT, is uh, deepfakes. And uh, what we were just talking about before we jumped on the call with you here was whether or not there's actually any or uh, how, how many uh, valid uses there are legally that are not creepy, invading privacy, or being used for scams and the like. Well, for sure. I mean, deepfakes or realistic voice and video, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of legitimate uses for it if you're not doing unwanted impersonations. I mean, yeah, there's tons of uses for technologies that use human voice and human video to communicate a message. I, I think what you were alluding to is what are the potentials for harm? And, you know, unfortunately on the, on the negative side of things, there's, there's lots of uh, potentials to exploit the technology. Can you give us an example of this? Yeah. So one of the, the fastest growing components of our delete me business is organizations trying to protect their executives and key employees that do some kind of frontline activity that is public or are involved in the financial systems of the company. They're trying to protect them first and foremost from social engineering attacks that use deepfakes, phishing, smishing, the new forms of phishing that are multimodal, that involve the voice of a CEO coupled with an email that was sent, uh, coupled with the delivery of malware. Like everything, cyber attackers and, and others are always using the latest technology. They, they are the ones that push technology. Like everything in security, there's no single way that a company can protect themselves. Our argument to use Delete Me or other services like Delete Me is that it, it provably lowers the amount of information, personal information about these, you, your employees, your family, your phone numbers and home addresses and all those things that can be exploited. It provably lowers the ability for unwanted people to exploit that information. What happens if someone gets someone's information and comes to delete me as if they're the person as part of a campaign to eliminate information about that person? Adam, you've done it. You've found the unintended consequences question. I could just be like, oh, I'm going to, I would like to delete any reference to Adam's book swiped. He'd be pissed. Yeah, it, it, it's a fun one. There's a two-part answer to it. The first part is, it really isn't an issue for us today or for our customers. The vast majority of what we remove is data broker data that is related to your publicly identifiable information. So the scenario where we're deleting something that's deeply meaningful, the threat of somebody maliciously falsifying who they are to try to, you know, sort of take revenge on somebody else is something where we're going to need to do the same kind of identity verification and auditing that, you know, other companies do. And we're going to have to take that very seriously like your bank does. Yeah, no, and that is the answer. The answer is, are you Adam Levin? How do I know you're Adam Levin? And now that I know that you're Adam Levin, will you please sign this legal agreement that says that if you're not Adam Levin, you're going to jail? This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with 
electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means you get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com and please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works. Not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing, and I need to make split-second financial decisions, and that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks, and I trade options, and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. I want to get back to AI voice simulation. Now, I agree with you that for me, one of the only legit uses would be, you know, voiceover and stuff like that. And I get it. We've used it a little bit. And I have found that thus far, it's 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 not as good as the real thing. So let me give you an example. We hired Susan Bennett, the voice of Siri, to be on our show. I guarantee you AI would not have done it as well or with as much nuance as she did. Ditto Lorraine Newman from Saturday Night Live, who also was able to add a nuance to her version of Alexa that Alexa couldn't even do. She made Alexa funny. And so asking, we've done a lot of prompt testing of ChatGPT and have found that it is good, but it is not yet human. Even with the kind of the PR that Bing has given by saying like, well, it, you know, the yeah, AI yeah. feels lonely. Like, sure, if you program it to feel lonely, it feels lonely. But But here's the thing. I think... And tell me if you at least can identify with this, Rob, because it's, it's sort of outside of the pale of what Delete Me does. But here's my thought. I make an ice machine, a really big ice machine. And I use that ice machine because I want to lower the temperature of my pool. Now, I also want to fill my pool, and I never fill my pool with the garden hose. I only fill it with the ice machine. So I have figured out a way to get the water from up on top of the hill down to my ice machine, which I power with solar energy. You're getting the picture. I have a very complex system. 
Turns out that the water that the ice machine makes after it's frozen is a little toxic, but who cares? Anyway, <laughs> it's, you know, my pool's the right temperature and it's filled. And it was very complicated, but I enjoyed the, la- the layers of complexity that allowed me to have my pool exactly the way I want it. Now, I do have to make one comment. I've never met I'm anyone. an idiot. The comment is I'm an idiot. No, no, no. I've never met anyone who wanted to lower the temperature of their pool. So that's an interesting Well, you're concept. in Phoenix. So here's the thing. I, I think that uh, my point was AI, especially the voice part of AI, the deep fake voices, there's no... Th- this is, to me, an unintended consequence in search of a tragedy. And it doesn't have any real use other than yeah maybe killing an industry <laughs> that human beings enjoy doing for a living and and that is i'm with travis on this which is you know there are so many things that you know get out of control when it comes to technology online life well i can't speak to your uh, biggest ice bucket challenge uh <laughs> uh comments but beyond that i think uh, you know three points one you brought up, hey, uh, you know, Bing's doing all this PR around AI and, hey, it's not, it's not real yet. I am not here to suggest, nor do I believe that we have AGI, artificial general intelligence. I'm not saying that the new models, ChatGPT, have anything today resembling a personality, human intelligence, that kind of thing. But what I'm saying is it's a paradigm shift in the ability to compose information. And right. it turns out, that a lot of what we do in society, these industries that we were just talking about, voiceover and IVR and blogging, they're literally just composing information. And so I would expect to see a lot of change in, in that respect. Point number two, is it there yet? I, I agree. I, 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 I don't think it is, but it's getting damn close. And I think what you're going to see over a very short period of time is an acceleration to the point where most most of what we consider to be human realistic, either text, voice, and to some extent video, can be engineered in by a high school kid in in their basement on the web, and and so that will have to your third point a lot of unintended consequences. And one of the things that we have to do as society forget about just our little company, we have to figure out what, what are the ways that we can put boundaries around these unintended consequences. And that's why you're seeing, I'm convinced, more laws popping up in many U.S. states and, and not just in the U.S., but globally that are giving citizens more rights, more controls to Travis's point when the ability to correct false information that's out there about them those rights are being granted, you know, over the last three or four years to lots and lots, hundreds of millions of people. Brazil passed a law, all the U.S. states, obviously the GDPR and the EU. There's many, many other examples. Even China, for God's sake, the, the king of surveillance yeah. passed a data protection law for their citizens. It's no surprise that this is a global trend because the, what we're talking about, what we've all been talking about today is a accelerating global problem. I think one thing I'm wondering too is uh, what can people do with their own data if the data out there about them is wrong? 
I think that's one of the things that's sort of worrisome with a chat GPT is that when it's processing a huge amount of data, it's giving you like a natural language interface. Um, but there's absolutely no guarantee that the thing it'll be saying, especially if you're a public figure, is going to be correct. Do you see anything, especially with a service like Delete Me, or just even what people can do without that to sort of correct the record that's out there about them? Why are you so focused on incorrect data? Did someone make fun of you? Yes, you, this morning. But <laughs> Come on, we haven't talked yet this morning. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> well, th there's something out there called uh, data poisoning. What is it? Um, it's really just giving things that are AI-enabled intentionally false information. So what's the consequences of that? Well, if you happen to put something inaccurate about someone on Wikipedia and then ChatGPT happens to be scanning that article that one time, it's going to be presenting that to people as like the gospel truth. And if it does that, then that could do severe reputational damage. Okay, I get you. But, you know, let's bear in mind that that is, that is a long game you'd have to be playing because ChatGPT is only up to like, what, 2020 in terms of its reading? It is, but the next version is supposed to be more recent. Okay, so but as it stands now, that's not the case. But this is a great example of like predictive problems <laughs> we're yeah. going to see down the line. Yeah, with uh, things like AI, they view data uncritically. And usually when people are seeing something online, they're also viewing that uncritically. So that's just a great way for just things that are just blatantly false to be able to get propagated. Yeah, well, I mean, there are the capabilities to do that. And frankly, some of the data brokers that Deletely removes our customers from have lots of capabilities to go update the record and correct it if you want to be uh, a, a participant in their database. As a, uh, just a quick personal example, my, uh, one of my kids' schools is on the same block as a uh, uh, chicken wing place. And so for whatever reason, now my phone tells me that every single day uh, will give me instructions to the chicken wing place and not the school. But what that ends up meaning though, is that I've seen more ads now for fried chicken, chicken sauce, like it, anything like that. And on one hand, that that's just sort of annoying, but if that happens to be data for sale for uh, life insurance or something like that, and they're saying, this is someone who's eating chicken wings every day, that's gonna count against me pretty hard. What are the predictive companies and AI engines running on that data and where are they sending it? And to whom, want, who wants to buy it? What value is, is it for life insurers, hospital systems? I would argue that we're in an era right now where algorithms are starting to overtake humans in making decisions about segments of the population and because they're just frankly better at it. And so the question sort of becomes, what decisions are being made about us based on data that we don't really know? That's a great point. And you have, you know, Equifax out there who can use that information for potentially good or bad, depending on your situation. If you're, uh, you know, fiscally and financially on top of things, then that could be to your benefit, right? That they know all these things about you and they know your reliable risk. Now, the problem I run into is what happens when a company knows that you're struggling with something and they put, for instance, let's say Travis was trying to hit a certain BMI to get life insurance mm. because that's more likely, right? That, that you know, HIPAA protects his BMI via his doctor, but perhaps he searched, used a BMI calculator, who knows? And now that information is out there. And he, we also know that he Googled life insurance. Google knows it. Now, 
What about the Chick-fil-A decides that they want to know everyone within three miles of their store who is struggling with their weight? Because they're the most likely candidates to buy a bunch of chicken sandwiches. Mm. That, to me, is, and I'm not saying Travis is struggling with his weight, but the point that I'm making is, we do live in a surveillance economy where people can be using our information for all kinds of things. And it does include the chicken place that knows you're having a hard time and sends it to you. Could be in a county or a state that has legal weed. That could be something they send to you because you Googled Alcoholics Anonymous. So you have to be really on your toes and don't assume everybody's out there just to make the sale. And it's in the sale is a pair of goofy Disney slippers. They're not always going to be so friendly. We're never going to catch a big company doing that, right? I don't think. But it is would make a good movie. Well, they caught they caught Philip Morris. Yeah, they did. I think it's a really instructive analogy because we we tend to sit here and go, oh, none of these big companies are ever going to get caught. They're not really doing any of this. Facebook's and Google and, and Amazon, they're generally being responsible with the data. You know what? This exact this is exactly what people said about the tobacco industry 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, and, right. and and there's doctors in major magazines smoking and saying this is this is good for you and you know, eventually, then it was low tar, and then eventually, we figured out that these companies were basically engaging in criminal behavior, and we figured out that it was you know massively harmful to society. There is no reason why that's not a direct, directly applicable analogy to where we are today with data. I mean, sorry, but I felt like we wrote a lot about this with um, uh, Facebook and the 2016 election. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the main things about it is that it's nice that the tobacco companies were taken down, but that was, uh, how many decades did that take? And then next well, thing right, you know, we have, also, that then we have vaping, then we yeah. have, uh, you know. <laughs> the fact is that you have these huge companies that don't care. They claim they care, they don't care. They don't care. Just, just examples we deal with, for instance, with Instagram. People are losing their accounts all the time and trying to get through to any of these big companies is you have a better shot of universal peace. The other thing I worry about, too, is, you know, passing laws are great. I'm in favor of it. Heck, I was a regulator. I operated to, and, and used the laws I had and, and proposed others. The question is, though, will they be vigorously prosecuted? And will consumers actually be aggressive about the protection of their rights? Because people tend to be very passive about that. So I'm glad you brought that up because it is as simple a statement about the business that I, as an entrepreneur, am trying to build as one can make. I believe the laws are necessary, but they are a, they are a first step in, in a process. And I believe that there needs to be a services layer that sits in between all these laws and all of the data that's stored about us in all these databases. And there needs to be some group of trusted services that people can rely on to go monitor that data, correct it if it's wrong, restrict it from certain uses, like selling, like maybe uh, we're okay with buying chicken, but maybe we're not okay sending that data to the life insurance company. To your point, people do not have the patience, the time, or the expertise to action on these new legal rights that they're getting. And that is what industry is counting on. That's what big tech is counting on. They're saying, hey, look, 
we know that far less than 1% of people are ever going to do anything about their rights. They're just not going to. We have already had our Philip Morris moment when it comes to online data. It was Cambridge Analytica, and it did change the outcome of a national election. So we are already there. The difference between Philip Morris and where we are right now is nobody's dying, and therefore nothing is happening. And meanwhile, our privacy, as Mark Zuckerberg said, is dead. I don't mean to be bleak. I mean to be accurate. We said this industry hasn't had a Philip Morris moment yet. Yet it has had several. The Equifax breach was one of them. And yeah, Cambridge Analytica, I'm sorry. For me, between that and the way that Facebook, which was called Facebook at the time and has changed its name because of this, think about that, was able to allow Russia and other countries to sway our election through ad purchases? Come on. We've already had that moment. We don't care. It's also true that we don't care because we're not dying, but we're also, the vast majority of, of us haven't been truly harmed yet. That depends on how you feel about the outcome of the 2016 election. Yeah. So, unfortunately, that is often what it takes. Harm or death to yep. wake somebody up enough to take action. And I can tell you that our customers are leading indicators, uh, uh, you know, tip of the spear, canary in the gold mine, whatever you want to call them. They're leading indicators because a lot of them have been harmed in some way, shape or form. And it's good news, bad news. Good news for us as a business and me as an entrepreneur, our company is growing at a rate more than doubling every year at a rate faster than I ever anticipated it would. The bad news is that's driven by the leading indicator of people that are starting to wake up and actually feel the impact and harm. Well, listen, we really appreciate the fact that you've helped us shine the light in a lot of this. And we thank you so much for coming on the show. Now, the question is, if folks want to learn more about you or your work, where do they find it? Or you or both? <laughs> uh, anybody's welcome to find me. I'm, I'm Rob at joindeleadme.com. And that's also where you can find uh, free tools to opt yourself out or more about our services if you're interested. Awesome. And of course, in the show notes, we'll have your address, your social security number, your cell phone number, all the rest of that. So I would, I would, I would expect none, nothing less. Anyway, Rob, thank you so We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, now it's time for the tin foil swan. Our paranoid takeaway to keep you safe on and offline. Really? Well, Adam, what is on your mind this week? Tax day is literally a month away, or as I like to say, Uncle Sam's payday is coming. Definitely not my favorite day. And one thing that's important for people to keep in mind, if you have a mind, is that if you're going to use an accountant, you got to use one that's trustworthy. Please, no such thing. All right, sorry. I'm sorry. I have an accountant. Well, come on. You know, they're fallible. And, and this is like a way you can get audited and whatnot. But let's just say, I'm supposed to say 100%. <laughs>
<laughs> you could be doing everything right with your data online, whether it is having your refund stolen or your identity stolen. You might run into penalties from the IRS because they're actually doing your taxes, but they suck at it. There's a lot of ways it could go wrong. And you could get flagged, too. Flagged? Okay. Yeah, the whole process of uh, trying to get a good accountant can be really tedious, but at the end of the day, you're handing someone a lot of really sensitive, really valuable data. And also, you know, we've done this a thousand times, literally, I think, at this point. Let's talk red flags. What are they, Adam? Well, if your accountant doesn't have a preparer tax identification number from the IRS, be very afraid. It's required by law, by the way. Yeah, you would not want to see a doctor without a license. I would. Oh, well, you're a hippie. <laughs> Second, please don't sign a tax return that's not completed. Because if you do, and it gets completed after you sign it, and you don't know wh how they completed it, just remember, you're on the hook. The other big thing that you need to look out for is, is somebody who, in the traditional sense, traditional language, we would call them a gomif. This is the person who asks for a percentage of VIG of your refund. The idea of getting money back is great, but you know, mm, a real accountant doesn't ask for a VIG. Even outside of that, if your accountant is completely trustworthy, you really just need to make sure that they take your data security seriously. Right. Well, for example, let's say they ask you to send sensitive data like your social security number over email. What the hell are they get? <laughs> I mean, it's your data, it's your asset. And anybody who's handling your taxes needs to be cyber hygienic my old accountant her whole security her whole security protocol was that she used dot web tv email addresses <laughs> what very special <laughs> no her point was it was so old that nobody would ever bother hacking it that was her security system do you know that when they asked one of the, the members of the joint chiefs of staff are you worried that someone could hack into our missile defenses? And the response was, it's so old, you can't even hack into it. That seems like a very dangerous assumption on both counts. Also, go get yourself a PIN. It's an annual number you can get from the IRS. It's pretty easy to do. The site will take you where you need to go and you'll get it done. Yada, yada, yada. That is our tinfoil swan. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media, produced by Andrew Stephen and Travis Taylor. Our executive producers are Bo Friedlander and Adam Levin. That's me. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin. Come back next week. And rate and review. It really helps people find the show. 